Welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters gather around the mics to share their experiences of God's love through the lens of His sacred word. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to The Daughters Project. My name is Sister Oriane Pietra Renee. I'm Sister Julie Benedicta. And we are joined today by Sister Mary Leonora. Welcome, Sister. Thank you. <laughs> so, Sister, can you introduce yourself? Maybe tell us some things about you and when you do- joined the Daughters of St. Paul? All right. Well, I joined the Daughters of St. Paul in 1963, so that's 59 years ago. Wow. Hey, uh, <laughs> anniversary coming up. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. And um, I joined here in Boston. I was living with my family, naturally, at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. So it used to be a military base there. My father was in the military. So I entered from there. And um, I entered because we were a missionary congregation. I was looking precisely for a missionary congregation. Mm. But when I joined the convent, um, the formators made it a point to tell me that the U.S. is mission territory and that I shouldn't get my (laughs) hopes up too much about being missioned outside of the U.S. because there was so much to do at home. And through the years of formation, I did did realize that that was the case. And in my uh, younger years, I worked among the Mexican migrants here in the United States Mm -hmm. and was probably one of my most uh, rewarding periods of mission. Mm -hmm. But shortly um, after that, well, 20 years later, I entered in 63. In 83, I was asked to uh, go to the missions. And at the time, uh, Mother General said to me, if we send you to a place that's overdeveloped instead of underdeveloped, will you still say yes? <laughs> and so that made me hesitate a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I said to her, so where are you thinking? And she said, Germany. At the time, the wall was still up. Mm. Oh, yeah. I went in 83. The wall came down in 89. So I started working in West Germany. When the wall came down, I was also able to work in East Germany, which was very exciting and um, very challenging, extremely challenging. Mm. And then uh, almost 20 years into my stay in Germany, I was asked to go to Russia. So I spent eight years in Russia. And I came back to the United States in um, the year 2009 after almost, um, I think, 26 years in the mission, something like that. So it took me a while to get used to my home country again. (laughs) And... Uh, But I'm very happy for those experiences, and I learned many things, and I'm I'm convinced that the Lord called me to the missions because He had a plan for me. He wanted to form me there. I've made uh, wonderful strides um, in the missions, even in my own spiritual life and in learning from all the people that I was with, from their spirituality, from their way of life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Germans taught me a lot. The Russians taught me a lot about long-suffering, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had some marvelous people that we worked with, both collaborators and employees. So it was a grace time for me. and. I came back to take care of my mother, who was um, very ill and, and died in the first years that I was back. And then um, things just worked out that I stayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding that it's because of the work that you and the other sisters and some of your collaborators did 
that the liturgy of the hours even exists in, in the Russian, Russian language. language. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, what? I have not heard the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, when in Russia, I was asked to um, begin our publishing house. And so that was a challenge in itself, because in Germany, I had been involved in diffusion and basically in formation, mostly in formation and in government. So when I was sent to Russia, I was sent with the express uh, desire of the, of the major superiors to start a publishing house. But there are a lot of restrictions in Russia. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, we were basically told by the government what we could print and what we couldn't print. Mm -hmm. So we were not allowed to print children's books, for example, because that was seen oh, as proselytizing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. okay. And we could print, however, the Catholic Catechism, the Catechism of the Catholic Church and the social teaching of the Catholic Church. Oh, so we sweet. did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but at some point, um, the, the young men in the seminary who were mostly uh, from other countries, not mm -hmm. Russians themselves. Mm -hmm. They were from Kazakhstan and Georgia and other places where there were more Catholics, more Catholics, so to speak, right. yeah, mm -hmm. than Russia. Mm -hmm. And they were asking for the Liturgy of the Hours in Russia, wow. but it hadn't even been translated yet. Wow. So we asked the seminarians of the seminary who all spoke flawless Russian if they could translate it, because it is, it's mostly scripture texts and fathers right. of the church, all mm -hmm. of which were available. It was just a question of, you know, so right yes, so they did. They, um, and in a period of about three years, they translated the text, and we printed the very first Russian edition of the Liturgy of the Hours, complete text, Office of Readings, and all the hours. Oh my gosh! And um, the first print run, which was ten thousand, sold out almost immediately. Oh wow! Yeah, what a need. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Because it sold in places also like the Ukraine, which right. you, uh, mm -hmm. um and um, other Russian-speaking countries. Wow. wow. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, Sister Leonora, you chose a very interesting passage. You did. Could you tell us what it is and maybe read it for us? Yes. It is my favorite passage, and it's accompanied me a long time. So mm -hmm. it's, it's from John 8, um, verse 29. The Father who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I do always the things that are pleasing to him. So the reason I like that, well, first of all, it, it didn't start out. I didn't start out with that text. As a very young sister, when we were encouraged to uh, make a program of life, I was fascinated by the, the words of Jesus, my food is to do the will of him mm -hmm. who sent me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought, wow, that sounds like Jesus' program of life. So his <laughs> rule of life. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I took it and discovered not easy to live up to, but uh, it's a good thing to aim at. So sure. I, I figured it, um, this, this would keep me busy for a long time. And um, but then I reached a point in this uh, where my life became particularly difficult and um, all lives have their their ups and their downs. So this was a particularly dark time and uh, where I was really struggling, even with the phrase, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And and one of those days I opened the gospel uh, and opened to the gospel of John. And this quote came. The Father who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. This he has not left me alone mm -hmm. um, just waved over me like um, it just filled me with consolation. It was um, 
it I felt the strength that came from it. And I realized that, um, you know, that I could do this, that I could get through this. And it became my new um, go-to phrase. And it was very similar to the one I was already using because the second half is the reason why Jesus wasn't (laughs) left alone, because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Mm -hmm. And the more I prayed with this, the more I realized that it gave me a glimpse into the intimate relationship between Jesus and the Father. And not only that, but it was like Jesus was saying, you can have this intimate relationship too. Mm-hmm. And it's very simple. Just do the things that are pleasing <laughs> to the Father, <laughs> or at least try, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was very encouraged by that because thinking on Jesus' life, uh, which was not an easy life. I no. mean, from the moment he was born, they, people were trying to kill him. Yeah. Nobody was trying to kill me, Uh, (laughs) you know, so and then the suffering that he went through, the abandonment that he felt. And yet Mm -hmm. at the same time, he felt abandonment, but he knew that the father was with him. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, what sustained him. And then I thought to myself, so in striving to please the father and doing God's will, whether it's painful or joyful, whether it's easy or hard, um, it doesn't matter. And whether I succeed or don't succeed, as long as I'm really trying to do that, then um, then the Father is in me. There's another passage that I began to um, really kind of connect with this passage, and that's one later on even. And I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's in, in part of the last discourse where Jesus, yes, it is part of the last discourse, where Jesus says that um, if, you d- if you live according to my word, the Father will come to you mm-hmm. and we will make our home in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- this is very similar to this. Uh, I'm realizing that, yes, if the Father is with me, then the Son is with me and so is the Spirit because the Trinity is one. So. Um, I am inhabited, I'm sustained, I'm strengthened by the God living in me. Mm. And uh, that's why this became such a powerful phrase for me. And actually, I've never been tempted to change it. It's always been uh, (laughs) the one that's kind of followed me through life since then. Because to think that I am not alone, that the Father is in me is huge. Mm -hmm. It's really huge. And it can get, at least it can get me through almost anything. And um, so... what that translates then into is the fact that, yes, I am this temple of the Spirit, but it's, it's God that makes everything possible. I'm not acting out of my own strength. Mm-hmm. But I always have to remember the second half of that phrase because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So there is a stipulation there, but I know that, I, I mean, first of all, I trust the promises of Jesus, and second, I know that he's not looking at results He's looking at effort. Mm -hmm. And so that gives me a lot of courage, too. Mm -hmm. Wow. I feel like my mind is going in 50 places at once. There's so much in there. It's such a beautiful. So it's such a beautiful connection for me to baptism, Mm -hmm. because in our baptism, we are we are gifted the indwelling. And I, I was always as even as a kid, very moved when Jesus tells the apostles, I will not leave you orphans like I'm not going to leave you alone. And he gives us gifts us that indwelling. And I think it's in this, I think it's in the second letter to Timothy. Paul reminds us that even when we are faithless, the Lord remains faithful mm-hmm. because he cannot deny himself. But I love how the second part of the verse that you read 
always doing what is pleasing to the Lord kind of reminds us that when we're able to kind of with Mary say yes to the Lord's will and do what is pleasing to the Lord, it's almost like we're turning back to him and we're allowing ourselves to remember that we're not alone because we're Mm -hmm. looking to the one who is with us. We haven't turned our back on him. And it's such, you know, there's so much power when you're with someone to be able to look into their eyes or to, to look at them, to to really be able to connect and to to read the conversation that's in the eyes of someone that you understand and that you know and love. You don't have to necessarily have words passed between you. Like someone can just give you a glance and you're like, oh, sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> you know? like, because you know them. Mm-hmm. And to know that we can look at the Lord that way in the simple act of saying yes to his will or, or doing something we don't want to do, but we know it's the right thing, that is a glance at the Lord that is allowing him to look upon us with love mm-hmm. um, as opposed to turning away from that gaze and that that can change everything mm-hmm. it really can that's so true yeah it really is there's a line actually i think i might have it marked there's a line in the catechism i'm a huge fan of baptism if anyone hasn't noticed <laughs> <laughs> big fan highly recommend <laughs> yeah highly recommend um yeah there's a line in the in the catechism that says Having become a member of the church, the person baptized no longer belongs to himself, but to him who died and rose for us. And when you said, Sister Leonore, that Jesus had a very hard life, which obviously he did, and that he felt alone at some times, the line that he says on the cross, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I find that so powerful to know that before he ever got to the cross Mm. in this verse that you read the verse immediately before it he says when you lift up the son of man which is referring to a double passage of the old testament it's referring to daniel the son Mm. of man who is divine but it's also referring to the lifting up of the snake in the Mm -hmm. desert um yeah the bronze serpent at the time of Moses, when they lifted up the bronze serpent as almost like a symbol of their sin, and they had to look upon basically what they had done, face what they had done, and they would be healed from their snake bites. So he's referring to his crucifixion of being lifted up on the cross. And he says, when you look upon, you know, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am, mm-hmm. and that I do nothing on my own, but only what the Father taught me. And then he says... He has not left me alone. He will not leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So knowing that he knew everything that was coming, he knew how it would feel. And he's almost telling them ahead of time, but he won't leave me alone and he won't leave you alone when you're carrying your crosses and when you're facing your sufferings, even though it feels like it, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we don't think of very often, too, is that um, at the time of the crucifixion and throughout the whole redeeming act throughout the whole passion um the father was going through the passion just like the son yeah so we are being redeemed together mm-hmm. uh by both of them um and often we don't think of that there's some art that depicts that so beautifully mm-hmm. but um Jesus knew that, I mean, Jesus was simply reflecting the love, the uh, redemptive love of the Father in his own person, because they were one. So he knew he wasn't alone, but one of the first, and I've read this in in books on atonement, but one of the first um, 
effects of sin is separation. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we could be reunited with God is if Jesus felt that same separation that sin causes. Oh, wow. And so um, that's why it was so intense for him, because uh, he had never been, he had never known separation from the Father. And and even though he knew he wasn't separated, he felt Mm -hmm. separated in Mm -hmm. every fiber of his being. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why I think Passages like these become even more powerful for me the more that I, I realize, you know, what, what was taking place um, on Calvary. Yeah. I think one thing that stood out for me, too, in this passage is, I mean, definitely, like, crucifixion is all over my notes. But mm-hmm. um, where he says, you know, he, he begins to explain a little bit about who he is. And then it says, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So it's like this verse almost comes as like a response to their lack of understanding and they're continually not understanding him. And that that lack of understanding also can be a really painful experience that can be like a really lonely and alienating and isolating experience to have people just absolutely not understanding what you're trying to say or who you who you are or what you're trying to do for them, the love and affection that you're trying to give them. And they're just they're just. They're rejecting it, but they're also just not understanding it at all. And so he's continually trying to explain himself. And so when he when he when he says, um, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he like it's almost like, okay, you're not understanding my words. You're not understanding my miracles. You're not understanding just who I'm trying to be here with you. But you will. You will. There's going to be something that's going to be so unmistakable Mm -hmm. that um, that you'll you'll get it. And and in the meantime, he's with me. The mm. father is with me. The one who sent me is with me. He understands. He knows exactly what's going on. And uh, and I always do what's pleasing to him. And the other part about that was I always do what's pleasing to the father. But the only thing that Jesus was ever trying to do was to draw us closer. So the thing that most pleases the father is for us to draw closer. And I find it so fascinating that immediately after this, it says, as he spoke thus, many believed in him. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to really, like, understand what in that made them go from we don't get it to we believe in you. But there's something really beautiful that it must have been. It had to have been in his delivery or something, you mm-hmm. know, like it had to just have been in like his absolute confidence or the love or something there that that pulled them in. And as he spoke thus, many believed in him. Yeah, it's just really cool. And then immediately after that, he says specifically to those who believed in him, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Like that's his whole like end game right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's just it's so beautiful. And all of it is because of that core piece that you're pulling out, Sister Leonora, of the father is with me. He does not leave me alone. I think if more of us realize this. um, we would feel less alone, abandoned, mm-hmm. rejected, mm-hmm. or whatever, in whatever circumstances it come. And we'd feel more strengthened. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's um, a line. It's the, the line itself from our constitutions is eluding me at the moment. Mm-hmm. But my little paraphrase that I wrote kind of in the, in the margin of it is the paradox of his drawing us closer in order to send us out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like that, that like, dynamic movement of he's pulling us closer in order to send us to the places where he needs to be and he goes there in us 
And it feels like a paradox, but it's also like a dynamic movement. And it's like a coming and a going like at the same time. And in, in the act of going, we get closer. And it's just it's I don't know. There's just something really <laughs> that, cool about that. That is very much from the Gospel of Luke. And it's another favorite passage. It's not the one that guides my whole life, but it's one I've loved all my life. And that is he called to himself those he wanted to send mm, out. Mm-hmm. And he sent them out to the places he himself wanted to visit. Mm-hmm. That's in Luke. It's in the calling of the disciples or the apostles. I think it's the disciples. He called to himself. No, the apostles was he called to himself. He called those he wanted to be with himself. And he sent them out. And I think that's the 72 Mm -hmm. to the towns and places he himself wished to visit. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't say he followed them. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. They go in his name. Mm And that's that whole piece right there. It's that that dynamic. He calls us to himself, and we have to keep coming back to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're given the hour of adoration and, and mm-hmm. so many spiritual helps, the mass, everything, mm-hmm. so that we keep coming back. Otherwise, we have nothing to bring out. Yes. Right? Yeah. And isn't it true, too, that the more that we do respond to people's needs and find ways to help the gospel, like, find their way into their lives, the closer we end up being with him because he has to work so intimately in us for that to even work mm-hmm. yeah and for us to even know like what those methods might be or what those answers might be or to like be convicted that in fact this the gospel is the answer mm-hmm. because if we're not convicted of that we can't convince anybody else mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah so yeah. that's so true and it's so moving that with those spiritual helps that we we mm-hmm. have at our disposal thank god <laughs> um it's it's always so moving to me when i hear people who are you know, either missionaries or who who are facing a difficult conversation that day or something like that, who start looking to see if there's a daily mass available before this thing takes place, go to mass, receive the Eucharist so that they can like physically be a tabernacle in that situation to bring Jesus, you know, tangibly into that situation. Um, I know I've I've heard I heard an interview once with Jonathan Rumi way at the beginning of his uh journey with the chosen where he was talking about when it was possible he would receive the eucharist before going on set because he didn't want it to be him acting jesus he wanted it to be jesus speaking through him and to be able to bring him as as fully as possible onto the set with him and i was always really moved by that because in a sense if we're going out to the places where jesus wants to visit in his name as you say mm-hmm. we're called to bring him there with mm-hmm. us it's not it's not me with some authority that I've been given spewing my own opinions about who I think he is. It's it's <laughs> me bringing him, allowing him to speak through me. And I'm going I'm going out anywhere in my baptism beholden to him and be belonging to him, beholden to the authority of the church, belonging to the family of the church. So yes, of course our own experiences and opinions may come into that, but that's not what we're evangelizing with. We're evangelizing with who Jesus is and his very presence which is alive and real in us. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to kind of, you know, ask for the grace not to take that for granted and to ask Jesus to kind of help us see what it means that he dwells in us through our baptism and what it means that he's alive living in us in the Eucharist, the parking lot of your church is one of the holiest places. (laughs) Like you're, you're walking out as tabernacles into the parking lot. You're going home as tabernacles. You're going to work as tabernacles. Mm -hmm. You're like carrying his presence in us. And, you know, just as, just as we go to church to, you know, to pray in adoration, you're bringing Jesus to your workplace or to your family or to the mall or wherever you're going. 
And that has an effect, whether you see it or not, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And for us to really know that that is how close Jesus is to us is so mind-blowing. And it really can break down those barriers in us of thinking that our actions don't matter outside of church (laughs) or like whatever, and start helping us to, to, as Jesus says, do what is pleasing to the Father because we realize how intimately we are connected. You made me think of Mary visiting Elizabeth yeah. and John leaping in the womb because yes. she yeah. brought Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yes. And that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking as you were speaking too, you said like we don't we don't bring our own opinions and experiences and things and use and and that's not like what we're there to give. Mm-hmm. But it's what's interesting is how God can use our own experiences, the things that we've learned, the things that we've grown through, our weaknesses, um, difficulties and dark times that we've come through yeah. and what we learned in the in those and how those can become the tools mm-hmm. for for God to work in other people's lives just by the fact of the witness or the fact of something resonating with somebody else or mm-hmm. um wow you've been through the same thing and yet you can still believe the father is with you you know and i think some of those moments can be some of the most profound as well mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. I know that uh, often meeting somebody in their suffering and um, being able to say to them, um, this was something similar to what I suffered. It gives, first of all, a bit of credibility. It's not like you're not just saying beautiful words out of the (laughs) gospel, but you've been through the same tunnels and the same things. I experienced that very much after my father took his life or other experiences like that. Being able to meet people in in their need, saying, I'm as vulnerable as you are, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. God has not left me alone. He does not leave you alone. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the ways for me, at least, to understand what Paul means when he says that God works for good all things yeah. mm-hmm. for those yeah. who love them, for, for those who love him. Mm-hmm. And because um, there's some things that you look at and you say there's no way for that to be worked for good. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. But God's able to. He is. Mm-hmm. He is. Which yeah. is, this is this is my, I'm going to fly my ner- nerd flag for a minute, but <laughs> which is why I love so much in the very beginning of the Silmarillion, the way the the creation if you if you've never listened if you've never read the Sil- <laughs> Silmarillion or listened to it the first two chapters that's it that's all I'm asking just the first two chapters <laughs> it's gorgeous it is a creation narrative but it's creation through music mm-hmm. and the evil one begins to try to weave his own melody and all it does is make the melody richer deeper and more complex because God's able to make something out of it and that is just something I've made retreats with with just Mm-hmm. Those two chapters, because it's just so phenomenal to me. The the imagery, like using music as the imagery where something dissonant comes in, something that doesn't sound good, but you can change the whole, everything can be welded around it so that it suddenly becomes gorgeous and deeper and more emotional than it could have ever been before. Yeah, I don't know. I just, there's something about that that is so consoling to me, especially when I get kind of stuck in my own stuff mm-hmm. or or get stuck even sitting with other people in their stuff or whatever. Something about the way, the power of God to work something into something completely different and unexpected is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're, it can be very difficult when we go through a difficult time that is, is a more isolating kind of difficulty because it's so vulnerable and personal, Um, you know, whether it falls under the category of trauma or not. 
But when you find often, often you can kind of tell when someone gets it and usually they get it because they've been through something similar. Mm-hmm. And when you realize you can open up to someone like that, in a sense, you're blessed by their own journey. You're blessed by mm-hmm. what God has done through them, what they can understand and journey with you. And in turn, you know, his his healing in the life of another, even if it's not complete yet, becomes your healing. And you're able to pass it on to the next person who comes to you with a similar experience and a similar pain. And the the way that he can just like flow, it, it becomes a channel of grace, really. Like the grace he pours into you, pours into another person, pours into another person, pours into another person. And it's it's just infinite and it gives life. You know that, I, I can't remember if it's in Ezekiel or not, where it, it talks about how there's that river flowing down from one side yeah, mm-hmm. of the temple and mm-hmm. the, there's a, there's trees that grow out from it. And it talks about how the, the leaves and the fruits are used for, for nourishment and medicine. Exactly. And that is what God's grace does with us, that what's able to grow out of that becomes medicine for others. Mm-hmm. I have this quote pulled up from Edith Stein. Everybody knows she's my favorite, but she's a girl. She's my girl. <laughs> um, this is some thoughts that she wrote on the feast of St. John of the Cross. And she's talking about the cross in our daily life. It's long, so I'm going to try to paraphrase it a little bit. But she's, she talks about being one with Christ is our sanctity and sharing in his cross and helping Christ carry his cross and how this can be a joy. And she says, um, only those who are saved, only children of grace can in fact be bearers of Christ's cross. Only in union with the divine head does human suffering take on expiatory power. To suffer and be happy although suffering. Like, to suffer and to be happy although suffering. To have one's feet on the earth. To walk on the dirty and rough paths of this earth and yet to be enthroned with Christ at the Father's right hand. She's talking about this at the same time. These are at the same time. To laugh and cry with the children of this world and ceaselessly sing the praises of God with the choirs of angels. This is the life of the Christian until the morning of eternity breaks forth. Like, that's, and that's how Christ lived. Like, when you read the Gospels, that is how he lived. His feet were in the dirty, dusty roads, and he was continually singing the praise of the Father. Mm -hmm. And just, what a beautiful example that he's given. And not only example, but that's the call. That's the demand. Yeah. And and when Christ was here with his feet in the dirty, dusty roads, like he was experiencing everything that we experience, he experienced, you know, like he he knew what it was to go hungry. Mm-hmm. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be rejected and betrayed by his friends. He knew what it was to be misunderstood. He knew physical pain. He knew abandonment, like all of those things he knew. And so for him to be able to sing the praise of the father in the midst of that is so it's counterintuitive to us in one sense. But on the other sense, that is the thing that mm-hmm. transforms us. And in a sense, in a sense, <laughs> it makes us untouchable. Like that mm-hmm. is the thing that mm-hmm. that allows us to have a place of belonging and of peace, no matter what happens, no matter what the world throws our way. And again, like these saints are, and martyrs, Edith Stein is a martyr, like they're perfect examples of that. Literally, they mm-hmm. were killed mm-hmm. and yet they were untouchable. And he was only capable of that because of his divinity. Like he lived all of this rich humanity, Mm -hmm. but also in union with the father because of his divinity. But the thing is, we're we're capable of that because of his divinity. Right. Because he's in it. It's because we participate in it by virtue of our baptism. Mm -hmm. But also when we receive communion. Yeah. 
we receive the body, blood, soul, soul and, and divinity, divinity yeah. of the Lord Jesus Christ into our very selves. And that doesn't go away. I know. I just want to blow a horn right now. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How often we take that for granted. And that's yeah. really what it means to be a Christian because mm-hmm. a Christ follower is one who lives like Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And he doesn't make us into his own image in the same way that like no. a cult leader does. Yeah. <laughs> he no, makes he us doesn't. into his own image in like the most like creative mm-hmm. from the very core of our being kind of way. Yeah. By making us who we were created to be. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Which is not to be Jesus Christ himself. Right. But to, to be a reflection. <laughs> <Praise God>. yeah. <laughs> of him in some way. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. really true. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that as we become more like him, we do become more ourselves. And mm-hmm. I think so often we can really think, and, and I even thought this when I was realizing that I might have a call to religious life, is I was looking around at people not necessarily at faithful people, but at people like in religious orders or whatever. And I, and I, I saw in my faulted <laughs> vision, oh, there's like a mold and you have to mm. fit the mold. And if you don't fit the mold, you're not Catholic enough. You're not holy enough. You're not religious enough. But when I started discerning and started meeting sisters and particularly the daughters of St. Paul, that was one of the things that drew me here. I realized like, there's no mold. Like the mold <laughs> is Jesus Christ himself. But other than that, mm-hmm. everyone was so different, so incredibly themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me realize that, no, Jesus isn't trying to fit me into a shape like a cookie cutter so that I'll look like everybody else. He knows what I look like, but he also knows what he made me to look like. And I'm not quite there yet. And mm-hmm. he's actually growing me into myself. Mm-hmm. And the more I look like him, the more I look like me. And I think that's such a beautiful thing is that our identity is tied up irrevocably in who he is and how we allow him to be alive in us and to live through us. Yeah. And that's part of the reality of only doing what pleases the Father, Mm -hmm. right? Is that our own will becomes so conformed with his that it's also actually the thing that pleases us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I think it's such a powerful image to me how we talk about like how Mary and Jesus must have looked somewhat alike. (laughs) (laughs) probably. Um, But it's beautiful because you know that Mary looked like Jesus in another way as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And almost like, in a sense, they had similar glances, that they had similar expressions, they had similar. And a lot of that was because she was so open to God living, truly living in her and acting in her, that even even hypothetically, if they didn't physically look alike, because genes can be expressed in many ways, they must have looked so much alike. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're called to do, to look like him in that way. So that when people meet us, they see not necessarily our own like beauty or whatever, but they see the beauty of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is what, if they see our smile, they die and go to heaven, they will recognize Jesus' smile in a second because they've seen it before. You know, like that kind of similarity. I really hope I've had so many conversations with people online who are feeling like abandoned or alone because there aren't people around them to help them in their faith or even just to help them, you know, deal with everyday difficulties or interior struggles or mental health or whatever it is. And because we were not sitting next to Jesus on the bus or like whatever, it can be hard to remember that when we step out in faith and when we strive to do his will, like. He really is with us in in the most real way, like even more real in a sense Mm -hmm. than the person sitting beside us or, or, you know, whatever. And I I really hope that 
this can be a reminder to people and even to us ourselves sitting in this room that that is worth everything. Knowing that Jesus is with you is worth everything. And not not to take that lightly. And, and you know, when we're struggling to understand that, going to adoration or mass can be a really, like, tangible way of reminding ourselves that Jesus is um, in, in our midst. He really mm-hmm. is with us. Because sometimes we do need a physical reminder, you know? Sometimes we do. And, and two, sometimes I will go to adoration and just sit down and be like, okay, prove it. Prove, <laughs> prove you're here with me right now because I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. I'm not hearing you. I'm not. I need you to prove it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too. And just to sit there until he says something. Right. And just to ask him, like, how are you seeing me right now? How are you loving me right now? How, what is this situation? How are you feeling about this? Are you sad about this, too? Because I'm mm-hmm. sad about this. Or I'm, I'm excited about this. Or, or whatever it is that, that we're feeling or that we're, you know, kind of processing with or whatever. Like, just to bring it to him and be like, hey. Tell me more about this because you see it even more clearly than I do. And and it's okay to like challenge him in that too of do you care? It's okay to sit down and say, hey, Jesus, do you care about this? Mm-hmm. And we have the advantage and the privilege of be able, being able to go to a chapel every day. We do. But I'm thinking that some of the people that are listening may be housebound or not mm-hmm. be able to. Very true. But, you know, pick up your Bible, read uh, a few of the, just a, sm- a short passage if you can't concentrate long of the words of Jesus and ask him to let you feel his presence, that he is there, that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And we can all strive to do what's pleasing to the Father, whether we're healthy or or sick, whether we're crippled or or whatever, Um, whether we're sad or whether we're happy, we can still tell the Lord, I want to do what's pleasing to you. Mm -hmm. And that will to do what's pleasing to him is, is the first step. It's what he wants. And he will make his presence felt. He will Mm -hmm. let us feel that we're not alone. And if you have the opportunity, pick up the phone, call someone you know talk to someone don't don't remain feeling that um there's no one uh Mm -hmm. there for you Mm -hmm. and yes start the more i think the more we become familiar with the life of jesus in the gospels the more um we meditate on those words and i mean i say this after i i realize that i've been meditating the gospels for 59 years (laughs) (laughs) um and it it Little by little, it makes a difference in your life. As as we were talking, one one passage after another was yep. coming to my mind yeah. because of the relationships between them. But um, that's the type of thing that will help us to realize, too, that we are not alone because the word is living. It's living and active, Scripture mm-hmm. says. And none of Jesus' promises are false. Right. Right. They're all true. So he will be there and uh, let us feel his presence. Even if it's a presence in pain and in rejection and in whatever. Yeah. But he will. And I think that's important. Because that sense of his abandonment, that's all a lie of the enemy. That's all mm-hmm. that is. And, yeah. and I mean, we've said this, I don't even know how, how many episodes now this season, <laughs> but the passage from the catechism that the name of Jesus is the only one that makes present what it signifies. Yeah. So if you can't go to an adoration chapel or if you're sitting in a boardroom meeting and you're having a difficult time. Just the name of Jesus makes him present. Mm-hmm. And if we can have faith in that, it undoes all of those lies. Right. Which is really earth shattering. Uh, yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Sister Leonora, do you have a particular closing prayer you would like to close with? Uh, I, I, yes. Okay. Uh, Psalm, there's a, one line of Psalm 143 that's become like a mantra for me. Oh, okay. And it's very much connected with this text. And it's, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Oh, beautiful. And um, the next line of that is, uh, may your good spirit lead me and guide me. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I often just pray the first part as kind of a mantra, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And every time I say you are my God, I think of Esther who says, mm-hmm. I have no one else on earth but mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. So actually, can we close with that as a prayer mm-hmm. and just kind of, yeah, we mm-hmm. can bow our heads. We'll let you lead it. Okay. And if you're listening... If you have a chance, bow your head and and you can pray this with us. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me and guide me. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, and of the Son, Son, and and of the the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you in two weeks. God bless you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.